When you compromise in your thinking, you lose your ability to dispel clear light. And so Jesus warned the church in Ephesus in Revelation 2, I have this against you that you have left your first love. But then Jesus adds here in verse 13, but the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. Now there's a convergence of signs that are going on. Israel's in the land, the days of Noah, the days of Lot, growing apostasy. It's all happening at once. When the church is removed, people will either live for Jesus, and unless those days have been cut short, nobody would be left to enter into the coming kingdom. Welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy, Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church in Beaufort, South Carolina. Today is part three in the conclusion of Pastor Carl's sermon entitled, The Beginning of the End. Today, Pastor Carl highlights three important truths from today's sermon for us to remember. First, we must continue to be a witness for Jesus Christ. Second, we must be realistic. And third, we need to remain ready. Let's join Pastor Carl now as he continues. Let's go to the third sign. Beyond false Christ and unending conflicts, there, this will be a time of supernatural calamities. A time of supernatural calamities. Continue reading with me in verse 7 of Matthew 24. Again, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And then he adds, and in various places, there will be famines and earthquakes. Now, Jesus, again, he's looking down the corridors of time and he sees famines and he sees earthquakes. Luke in the parallel text says there will be great earthquakes. So this is not your normal earthquake. This is a great earthquake, not to mention famines. Now you would think with our increased agricultural skill and genetic engineering and all the things we have that famine would be eliminated. But it is certainly not. Certainly there's the failure of agriculture. You know, we're dependent on God. Most farmers are about the only ones who pray. <laughs> God, please send us rain. God, please stop the rain. God, please help us. All it will take is for God to turn the faucet off to get people's attention. There is a failure of agriculture, and there is certainly the failure of distribution. Even when we have food, we can't always get it to the people who need it. As this slide shows, here are the eight leading producers of grain in the world. China's number one. They produce more wheat than any other nation in the world, but they don't have enough wheat to provide for their own. They have to import wheat. That's why they're buying thousands of acres in America, and our Senate is doing nothing about it. You have the Ukrainians. Notice they're eighth on the list, but right now they can't plant this year because of all the turmoil in the nation. Not to mention there in the Black Sea, there are ships filled with wheat, Ukrainian wheat, and they allowed for the first time in months one to go out this week. And of course, if our former governor, David Beasley, is correct, and he heads the UN World Fund uh, Program, World Food Program, he said there'll be starvation this fall, especially in North Africa. And of course, the U.S. right now is not having a good year for a week. Our per acre production is way down. And when you add the world food market, it's predicted this fall the price of a loaf of bread is going to skyrocket. Well, listen, when you have earthquakes 
and famines and wars brought together in a small time frame, you can see how this will accelerate. Here's the parallel passage. Are you still in Revelation 6? Let me read verses 5 and 6. When he broke the third seal, I heard the third living creature saying, Come, I looked, and behold, a black horse. And he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard something like a voice in the center of the four living creatures saying, a quarter of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius and do not damage the oil and the wine. So interestingly, while the word famine is not found here, it's implied here. And it's clear that a measure which represents a quart in our terms, a quart of wheat will cost you a denarius. A quart of wheat is enough to bake one loaf of bread. The whole world is going to be in hunger and in starvation. Think about it. I don't know how large your family is. But suppose you had one loaf of bread to divide amongst your whole family for one day. Now, the average family size in America is 2.5. In the Middle East, it's 7.7. In Africa, it's 5.3. There's going to be severe food shortages in this coming day. And the wheat, which is the bread that people eat, It will cost you a denarius. A denarius in John's day was a single day's work. So it'll take a whole day's pay to do nothing but buy a loaf of bread. Or you could buy three quarts of barley for a denarius. Barley, and certainly less refined than in our day, it was used in John's day to feed the animals. You can eat animal food for a denarius. So you're in a situation, what are we going to do? Well, we're going to take all our money, we're going to buy saltines and crackers to put it in our way of thinking. You work all day and you can either have a single loaf or you can buy food fit for an animal. Supernatural calamities. In addition, number four, it will be a time of widespread death, a time of widespread death. The fourth seal is not directly mentioned in Matthew 24, but certainly the results of famines and earthquakes is implied. Jesus doesn't have to say it, but it is elucidated for us in the fourth rider in Revelation 6. Let me read verses 7 and 8 in Revelation 6. When the Lamb, Jesus, broke the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, Come. And to underscore how serious this is, verse 8 says, I looked, and behold, an ashen horse, and he who sat on it had the name Death and Hades was following it. God is simply saying it is death that claims the body. It is Hades that claims his soul. God is just reminding us that no one can climb up in the grave and cover himself over with dirt and hide from God Almighty. You cannot hide from God. Death which many people will try but will be unable, as Revelation teaches, will not be able to spare you from the judgment of God Almighty. When God created you, he created you to live forever. And long after the sun and the moon and the stars are gone, you will live timeless, endless, forever and ever and ever, on and on and on and on, either with the Lord in heaven or apart from him in this awful place called hell. And notice once again, authority was given to him. Like Satan with Job, he can only do what God allows. And so these horsemen that will be instruments of the wrath of God, they're on a leash. They're restricted as to how far they can go. But notice in either case, they're given permission to kill a fourth of the earth. 
We're going to cross in October for the first time in history, 8 billion people. 8 billion people on the earth, they say, come October. That means 2 billion people will die. Think about that. 25% of the earth's population, we haven't even come to the trumpet and bowl judgments. That would be all the population in China and the U.S. combined. Death in Hades will come by the sword. It will come by famine. It will come by pestilence. The smell of death will be everywhere. One-fourth of the planet at this time, gone. You say, that's cruel. No, it's not. It's grace. It's mercy. It's God getting man's attention one final chance before it is eternally too late because this is nothing compared to the eternal wrath that men will know on the lake of fire. Now remember, the devil is God's devil. He can only do what God permits. And remember what Jesus says here in verse 8, but all these things are merely the beginning, the beginning of birth pangs which tells you there are greater birth pangs to come. And after the middle event found in verse 15, it's going to get much more intense. Paul uses the same imagery. We studied it when we studied the day of the Lord in 1 Thessalonians 5. He said, while they are saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with child and they will not escape Even so, here in the tribulation, it progressively gets worse and worse and worse. And it's not until, as he will later say in this section, immediately after the tribulation, that Jesus will come back in power and in glory. Now, that brings us to the fifth mark, the fifth sign. And this coming time will also be a time of cruelty, a time of cruelty. Jesus continues now in verse 9. They will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you, and you will be hated by all nations because of my name. Now look, if you are a true Christian today, you cannot help but being defamed. It's hard to be a member of this church and not to experience some member of some kind of expression of persecution. Oh, you you community Bible church, you know. You're all homophobic over there, and you know, you all believe that me living with my girlfriend is wrong, and you think it's, you know, wrong for me to get drunk, even though I'm not hurting anyone. And I hear it all. I get the letters that you don't get. We ain't seen nothing yet. Today, Bible believing Christians, they're whipping boys for a lost world, and they mock us. And make fun of us night after night on the television. Now, Hallmark last week had a movie with two females at the end of the movie kissing. It's in your face. But this isn't anything yet. Because notice the fifth seal here in Revelation 6, verses 9 and 10. When the Lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who've been slain because of the word of God and because of the testimony which they had maintained. And they cried out with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood? Which means they were murdered on those who dwell on the earth. And the means by which they will be murdered, Revelation 20. 20 20 and verse 4 says they'll be beheaded. That's how they'll take us out or take those out who are here during that time. I won't be here. (laughs) Verse 10, at that time, 
Jesus says back in the Olivet Discourse, many will fall away. I mean, you got a choice. Okay, they may mock you now. What if you're living during the tribulation because you were lost when the rapture came? You got a choice. You want your head or you want no head? Many will fall away. In fact, they will betray one another and hate one another. The word fall away is scandalizo. We get our word scandalize. And when it's in the passive, it is a choice that they make from within. Paul said it in these words in 2 Timothy 4, 3. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. I got a pastor who will tell me what I want to hear. It will make me feel good. Right out in the margin, Matthew 10, 21 and 22, Jesus said, brother will betray brother to death and a father his child and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. You will be hated by all because of my name, but it is the one who is endured to the end who will be saved. They'll betray one another, counseled a couple, not members of our church. I spent an hour with them this week. You'd think they'd have a solid pastor they could go to. My sister, she said, is now come out lesbian. And everyone in the family approves of it. She wants to marry her lover. And we're the only ones against it. And they're telling us we're unloving. Those are the only loving people in that family who will tell that sister the truth about a sin that will damn her. She needs to be born again so she can be changed from within and have new life. I'm telling you, a day is coming when parents will take out their children. Ah, we've got someone in our home. Cut his head off. And children will betray parents and brother, brother, sister, sister. And so, believing these lies, verse 11, many false prophets will arise and mislead many. Even today, cultural Christians, they don't want to be ostracized. They don't want to be the odd man out. I've been a Christian since 1978 and in ministry, 1974 and in ministry since 1978. And I've always seen liberals who have been discombobulated and confused in basic doctrine. But I want to tell you, I have never, ever in my life, as in the last three or four years, seen such a hooray of evil, twisted, distorted doctrine walk right in the front door of the evangelical church where people are buying it. But, you know, we want to appease everybody. So if you want to be a same-sex attracted Christian, that's okay. If you want to live with your girlfriend, that's okay. We don't want anyone to be upset. And Jesus says in verse 12, describing the climate, because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. Lawlessness or iniquity, John says sin is lawlessness, will be increased. It will be multiplied literally. Now, on the one hand, God recognizes that a Christian can love the world, and so we're admonished, do not love the world, nor the things that are in the world. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. But on the other hand, God wants us to know 
that if this is your bent and your way of life, you've never had a new birth from above. But listen, when you love the things of the world, you lose your saltiness. When you compromise in your thinking, you lose your ability to dispel clear light. And so Jesus warned the church in Ephesus and Revelation 2, I have this against you that you have left your first love. But then Jesus adds here in verse 13, but the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. Now there's a convergence of signs that are going on. Israel's in the land, the days of Noah, the days of Lot, growing apostasy. It's all happening at once. When the church is removed, people will either live for Jesus, and unless those days have been cut short, nobody would be left to enter into the coming kingdom. No living soul on the earth would be able to enter into the kingdom. But God is going to take the Jewish people. He's going to hide them. We study that in Revelation 12. But only the one who endures to the end will be saved. You say, am I saved by endurance? No. You're not saved by endurance, but if you are saved, you will endure. That's the biblical truth. You're not saved by perseverance, but if you are saved, you will persevere. That's why Jesus can say, the one who endures to the end, the one who will never renounce me, even at the cost of his own blood, he's got the genuine item. He'll enter the kingdom. Six, it will be a time of sights and sounds in the cosmos. A time of sights and sounds in the cosmos. Now Luke's all of that discourse is quite compressed, but he adds a detail that Matthew doesn't give us. So Revelation 21.11 says, I mean Luke 21.11 says, and there will be massive earthquakes, and in various places plagues and famines. We just read that in Matthew. And there will be terrible sights and great signs from heaven. Here's how John describes it in the sixth seal. I looked when he broke the sixth seal. There was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth made of hair. The whole moon became like blood. So the physical universe appears to be coming apart. And John unfolds six marks that will happen. There's going to be a shaking. And by the way, this happens halfway into the tribulation. Then it happens in a greater way right at the end of the tribulation at the second coming. He speaks here of an earthquake. It's the word seismos. We get our word seismology from it. But he accentuates it with a great earthquake. We've always had earthquakes. But there's coming three big ones that we haven't seen yet. And the revelation unfolds each one. And it's going to produce such terror. Revelation 6 says men will want to hide themselves and kill themselves. Second, he says the sun became black as sackcloth made of hair. Again, that's not totally surprising because God made it black. At midday, it became like midnight when Jesus hung on the cross. And for three hours, there was total darkness. And the whole moon became like blood. There's the third mark. You know, some years ago, there was a, a number of books called The Four Blood Moons. And People would call me on the Bible line, what do you think about the four blood moons? I don't think anything about them. I think they're just some guys selling books to line their pockets. As it turns out, what I said was absolutely true. It's not that I'm so smart. I'm just reading the Bible. The only significant blood moons are during the tribulation, and then that will happen at the end of the tribulation. But naive Christians, oh, get the book. Hagee wrote it. Must be good. And the stars of the sky fell to the earth. There's the fourth mark. As a fig tree casts its unripe grapes when shaken by the great wind. Now that's interesting. The stars 
fall to the earth. You've got to let Scripture interpret Scripture because in 8.2, you see a third of the stars are, are darkened. So what's he speaking about? Well, the word stars is the word aster. We get our word asteroid from it. And I take it that he is simply using the language of observation. A few days ago in Seabrook, we had a magnificent sunset. It was just beautiful. You know, it had rained and the sun came, a lot of clouds. It was just breathtaking. I didn't say to my wife, what a glorious earth rotation. No, we use the language of observation like the weatherman, a sunset. And I think what John is doing here is he's using the language of observation. We speak of a shooting star. Well, if a star hit the earth, there'd be nothing left. (laughs) Uh, We're not speaking of literal shooting stars, but certainly asteroids. And some of you who follow this, if you remember in 1833, November the 13th, They had this shooting stars, so to speak, asteroids filling the skies. It led to such terror on the planet. People fell down on their knees and begged God for mercy to save them. And then, of course, in 1908, an asteroid hit the earth, and it literally destroyed 700 square miles of forest. Well, there's coming a day when they're going to see a sight in the heaven. In addition, fifth, the sky was split apart like a scroll when it is rolled up. I don't know how to explain that, but somehow like a piece of parchment rolled up maybe in two directions, there's going to be some kind of atmospheric effects that people will be able to watch. And then the sixth and final seal, it says, and in every mountain and island were moved out of their places. Maybe that happens through the asteroids, God's bunker busters, and they come down and literally destroy the islands of the earth. Finally, seven, I'm done. Give me two minutes. A time of mass conversions. This is going to be a time of mass conversions. Now, think about where we've been here for just a moment. Let me bring it up on this chart. Remember, we're paralleling Matthew 24 and Revelation 6 and 7. We know Revelation 6 and 7 happens after the church is raptured. A door is opened up in heaven. The church is taken up. And so the church is not mentioned again until it comes back with Jesus. The saints you read of is not, are not church saints, but tribulation saints. And so what we're reading in Revelation 6, you think it's accidental? False cries. First seal, the white horse of deception. Wars. Second seal, the red horse of war. Famines. The third black horse of famine. Death. The fourth seal on the pale horse of death. Martyrs, the fifth seal, those under the altar, slaughtered, beheaded. Cosmic changes, signs in the heavens, sixth seal, cosmic changes. And now the worldwide preaching of the gospel, and we'll look at in our times to come, about a middle event that will divide this seven years called the abomination of desolation. And that will bring great tribulation, the trumpet in bold judgments. Now look at verse 14. Jesus says here in Matthew 24, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached And the whole world is a testimony to the nations, and then the end will come. The gospel for the forgiveness of sins is going to be preached during this time to the whole world. You know, sometimes people say, hey, you know, we only got this many people groups left. You think we're at the end. And just as soon as we get some of those people groups covered, there's a hundred more that pop up. God is going to pull this off. He's going to pull it off during the time of the great tribulation. You say, well, how is he going to do it? Well, that's Revelation 7. 
Go home and read it. 144,000 Jewish missionaries and evangelists who will preach the gospel to the whole world. And if they were not enough, read Revelation 11. Two witnesses. I suspect Moses and Elijah won because the Bible teaches the second coming of Elijah. Malachi prophesied it. Jesus affirmed it. And certainly Moses and Elijah have parallel ministries. But whoever they are, those two witnesses are going to preach the gospel. And if they don't cover it all, listen to this angel. For the first time in history, God will preach the gospel through an angel. And I saw another angel flying in mid-heaven having an eternal gospel to preach to those who live on the earth. And to every nation and tribe and tongue and people, there will be no unreached people groups. And he said with a loud voice, fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and springs of water. Now, what should we do today? How should we apply this? Number one, you should be a witness for Jesus. You should be a witness for Jesus. We need to witness for Jesus. This time is coming. And there's coming a time when no man can work and you'll be able to witness to zero. You know, there's one thing that we will not do in heaven and we won't win anybody to Jesus. (laughs) No lost souls in heaven. It's our responsibility. It's my responsibility. It's your responsibility. You should invite someone next week just to the concert. How could God use that in their life? Look, we just baptized four people in the first service, and two of them simply because of an invitation, someone invited them to meet the pastor, got saved a week ago, got baptized this morning. Just invited them. We should witness, however that may unfold. Secondly, we should be realistic. I know you get all these Christians talking about, I'm praying for revival. There's nothing wrong about praying for revival. But a lot of God's people are getting disillusioned. They say, well, where is this revival that I've been praying for? Because there's coming a time when there will be no revival. The only revival, quote-unquote, will be after the church is gone and the 144,000 and an angel and the two witnesses reach the unreached people. Third and finally, we need to be ready. Now listen, we're going to cover it. But if you're here, you're listening somewhere in the world today and you've never received Jesus, don't think after the church is removed. If it happened this afternoon, don't think that tomorrow morning you'll become a believer because I will document for you from Holy Scripture that there will be no new believers during the tribulation concerning people who before the tribulation, before the rapture has heard the gospel. Because you refuse to believe the truth, the Bible says you will believe a lie. Today is the day to be saved. Now, Holy Father, we thank you for this portion of Scripture that Jesus gave us, that he's not left us in the dark. Help someone today to call upon Jesus. Would you do that? Would you pray this? You're not saved by a prayer. You're saved by faith in Jesus. But in faith, reach out in your heart and simply say, Lord Jesus, I thank you. You died on a cross for me. You were raised from the dead for me. And I trust you now by your shed blood to forgive me and to save me. Lord Jesus, save me. Because you saved me, I'll not be ashamed of you. I'll make it public. 
Now, Father, help those of us who've met the Lord Jesus to be faithful stewards of the gospel. We ask it in his holy name. Amen. Don't forget that tomorrow, Pastor Carl's wife, Audrey, is in this time slot with her program for women, Mothering from the Heart. You can hear more of Audrey's messages on the Search the Scriptures app found on the iTunes and Google Play Store. Also, check out Audrey's podcast, Rare But Real, on Apple, Google, and Spotify podcast platforms. You can also listen to her podcast at searchthescriptures.org. We hope that you will join us next week as we continue to search the scriptures.